The Refined Podcast features conversations around art and faith and the refining experience of engaging with God, our art, and each other for the sake of holiness and wholeness. I'm Chris. Welcome to the conversation. So I am here with Kimberly Ireton. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Chris. I'm I know so it's always happy to be here. It's always weird to do this because you and I've been back here talking for the last, you know, whatever, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and now we're gonna act like we haven't been. But it's good to see you. I'm so happy to get a chance to talk with you. It's I been a while. Too. It's been a long time. Lots going on in our mm-hmm. worlds. Um, so I guess what I'll say, because you and I, you and I have talked a ton, but we've never done, this is our first podcast mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. together. So I'm excited about that. And what I always tell people, and you know this, cause I emailed this to you, mm-hmm. um, all of these episodes center around the question, what has it looked like for you to experience God's refining through your art or your vocation mm-hmm. or your mm-hmm. life? Really? It's a big, it's a broad, I hope it's a broad enough umbrella that it feels like you can figure out a way to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to just, I guess we'll just start there. I'll kick that question to you and you mm-hmm. can pick it up and jump in however you would answer that, whatever that has looked like for you. Okay. Are you ready for a long monologue? I love it. I'm ready. I will try and pause periodically so we can (laughs) not feel like I'm monologuing. Um, So as I've thought about this, I mean, I could say a lot of things, but one of the the main things that I wanted to say is that one of the main things that God has taught me through, um, through my art is to be obedient without regard to results. There's this wonderful quote from um, The Scent of Water by Elizabeth Googe. And in that book, there's a blind poet and playwright, and he's reflecting on the writing process. And he says something like, it seemed to him that the power that bid men act required of them only obedience and a maximum of effort and to remain curiously indifferent as to results. Mm. So I have, that has been what God has been teaching me. Like the results are not up to me right? Like I do the work that he has given me to do. I write the books and the essays that are placed in front of me that I'm either asked to write or that I feel called to write. And then what God does with those is really not up to me. Um, In my twenties, when I started, I don't know, when I started this writing journey, um, I thought I would have a career as a writer. Like I was going to, I wanted to be the next Madeline Langle or whatever. And um, that has clearly not happened. (laughs) And and learning to, I mean, she talks about it a lot in her Crosswicks journals, I think, about just the decade of her 40s, I think it was, being really hard. She got rejection after rejection after rejection for A Wrinkle in Time and just thought, like, you you asked me to write this book. Why isn't it, like, why, why can't I find a publisher? And so, and there was a time in my life, all through my 30s, for me, I was like, you asked me to write these books. Like, I was being obedient. I was doing what you asked me to do. Why is no one buying them? Why is no one reading them? Why did you have me write them for no reason? And, um, and through all of that, God has just been really faithful. <laughs> like, I am the good shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep. If I have you write an entire book so that one person reads it and is blessed by it, that is not wasted. Mm. And this is not a message that we like to hear in our culture, right? Like it's all about big. It's all about more. It's all about platform. It's all about influence. And, um, and I just feel like over and over again, God has been like, that's not your business. That's not, if that's your goal, you are putting the cart before the horse and Mm. you're, you're, you are to do what I ask you to do. And 
if I ask you to write an entire book for one person, will you do it? Yeah. Don't you think I, well, I love, I love it so much. I love what you're saying because I feel like you and I know from our conversations. So, you know, for people who are listening, you and I have known each other for, I don't know how many years now. I was 2012. Yes, it was, 20, it was 2012 because I was working on my memoir and I I got your email that fall. You reached out to me about, I think it was Holy, Holy, Holy. It was, yes. was that right? It was coming yes. out. You asked me to endorse it. And I was like, oh, I don't have to write an endorsement for someone. So nice. Yes. Oh my gosh. So you and I have been walking this journey together for a long time and, mm-hmm. and, and both of us struggling in different seasons with mm-hmm. this obedience and mm-hmm. with you know, the, the platform nonsense and all of mm-hmm. the things that go along with writing in today's mm-hmm. world, especially you and I've had hours of conversation about that, but I love what you're saying about this obedience. I wrote it down without regard for results, because what I hear in that, and I imagine this is your experience too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like what is in that is freedom mm-hmm. is relief of like, it doesn't matter what happens with what you do, because that's not what God is putting you in charge of. And there's so much freedom in that. Really, when you think about it, it should free us up to be like, okay, what do I need to do? Because I actually don't have to be concerned with what happens with what I do. I just Mm -hmm. need to do what is mine to do. And obviously you can't steward results, Mm -hmm. really. No, well, you can't even... And honestly, results can't even be a goal. Like, um, because, so let's say I want to have 10,000 email subscribers. You have no control over who subscribes to your email list. Like you just don't have any control over that. Now you can do things that put your name out so that people hear about you and maybe subscribe, but you only have control over like who you talk to or the, like go on a you know, talk to some, talk to Chris on a podcast. And, you know, like that's something I have control over whether anyone subscribes to my newsletter as a result of that, not up to me. Like I have zero control over that. And I can't make that a goal because I don't have control over that, you know? And I mean, just like, not even from a spiritual standpoint, but just from like a basic psychological standpoint, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you make results, the goal, because you don't have control over those and it's, it's unhealthy. It's a, it's an, it's actually an untenable way to live. So, um, so I love that. I, well, I think it also, I think that those kinds of goals, I mean, I'm all for goal setting. Like Mm -hmm. that's just Mm -hmm. life. We set goals. Mm -hmm. We try to have things that we want to accomplish. That's part of the process too. But I think when you're trying to achieve something that you don't have any actual control over, like a number numbers related things, I think that there, at least for some of us Mm -hmm. that activates this thing inside of us that, um, you know, I've talked about this too. Mm-hmm. It can become like you lose sight of what you're actually supposed to be doing mm-hmm. because this thing in you has now been activated to try to make this thing happen. Right. And so then you're no longer operating from a place of like peace or wholeness, or you start sort of, I feel like I'll speak for myself. I just say, I start to feel disintegrated mm-hmm. and I'm like trying to do this. And I've got my eye on this thing over here and I'm trying to make this happen. And then what compromises or unhealthy sacrifices am I going to start making so that I can try to achieve this goal? And in the meantime, nine times out of 10, I've lost sight of whatever that thing was I was supposed right. to actually be doing. I'm now doing it either half-heartedly or 
no heartedly, maybe. <laughs> right. Well, and often the thing that we're called to do, like, so let's, for me, it's writing. So called to write. So like I have control over whether or not I write, you know, and now that the book, like my book is coming out this month, um, I have control over being on podcast. I can pitch to a podcast, but I can't guarantee that I'll be on that podcast, right? right? Like I can't make that my goal that I will be on X podcast. I don't have control over that. And if you are, you can't make people listen. Right. And I was like, (laughs) what I can do is my goal is I will pitch to X podcast, right? Then it's not up. The results are not up to me. Right. And so like if I, so for instance, for this, this book coming out, I have set myself a very ambitious goal that I will continue to pitch to podcasts until I have been on 12. Right. That may mean that I pitched to 36 podcasts. I don't know. Right. But, but I can't guarantee, like I can say that I will just keep, pitching until I get to one. And it might take me a year and a half. Like I don't have a timeline. I don't have, I just have like, once I'm done, once I've done 12, then it can be done. Right. But I, I don't have guarantee that I will, which podcast those will be. I have no guarantees that my desired outcome that people will buy my book is going to happen. Like I can't, I'm not going to make those my goals because the goal is the goal is the 12 podcasts because that's something I have control over. I can keep mm-hmm. pitching until I've been on 12, but I don't have control over who signs up for my newsletter. I don't have control over whether people buy my book. And so I'm trying, like, do I have desired outcomes? Absolutely. There are things that I want from this podcast tour, but I don't have control over those. And I have to really hold those very light-handedly. Like, Lord, it may not be that I am destined to have a large audience. I'm pretty sure that I'm not destined to have a large audience and that's okay. Like that, that's okay. I wrote this book. I hope that people read it. I, you know, I, I want it to be read. I don't read in a, I don't write in a vacuum for my own pleasure. I mean, I do write for my own pleasure, but part of it is communication. I want people to read what I write. Um, I think most writers, unless they're closeted, like writing in their closets, they they want people to read it, right? right? We want people to interact with it. We want it to be part of this conversation that people are having. So, um, so yes, of course I want people to read it, but I don't have, I don't have control over that. Mm. Right. And so, and I think that's so good. Making making that the goal that like a thousand people will sign up for my newsletter, a thousand people will buy my book, or whatever the goal. Like making that the goal is anxiety. Like there's just Mm. so much anxiety because I can't control that. Mm. And so, like, what am I supposed to do? I can only manipulate people if I'm trying to get them to buy my book. Right. right? I I don't want to manipulate people. I mean, this is Jesus. Let your yes be yes and your no be no no manipulation. We don't get to manipulate each other. Like here's the information you want to buy my book. Great. If you don't want to buy my book, God bless you. You Right. (laughs) Right. Well, I just think that there's, I just keep thinking about the freedom of obedience, like obedience. We hate that word. Like culturally, nobody likes that word. I know anytime I start using that word, people's eyes roll back in their head and they're like, (laughs) Oh, I don't want to hear this. You know, but I mean, the reality of, of our journey of faith is that it does require a measure of obedience. It is part of the process. And I think that when we think about as writers and artists and people who are working in the creative world, what does the obedience look like for us to respond to the invitations that God is putting before Mm -hmm. us? And I know I had a conversation with someone the other day where we were talking about how sometimes you think you're writing a book or you're making something for other people. Mm -hmm. And Lo and behold, <laughs> you, yes. you sometimes find at the end right. mm-hmm. that really the process, it, it may bless other people. Other people mm-hmm. may, you know, partake and enjoy mm-hmm. or whatever and be changed or or whatever. Mm-hmm. But ultimately the obedience of doing that work was for your own 
soul. It was for your own refining. God used that process Mm -hmm. first and foremost for you. Mm -hmm. And then other people may or may not be blessed through it. But that wasn't the point. I'm convinced when you're on the other side of that and you realize, oh, that wasn't the point. The point was God was doing something for me and I needed to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, I feel like you've had experiences like that in your own writing. For sure. And before I talk about any of that, I just want to say, um, as God refines us through our art, like it's the, the, through the process of doing the work that he's given us to do, um, other people will be blessed, even if they never read the thing that we write or the art that we create, even if they never see it or know about it, if they encounter us, like the, that refining work that God is doing in us, that's going to bear fruit in other ways, right? Even if it's not the fruit that we want of like lots of people read my book, it's, I'm a better person than I was in my twenties. I am a kinder, more patient. I still have a long way to go, <laughs> the kindness and patience scale, but I am kinder and more patient than I was in my twenties. I'm also more willing to lay down the things that I want in order to do what I believe God is calling me to do. Mm-hmm. And so, which is in my twenties, I, I talk about it. Like I had one eye on God and one eye on me. I'm very grateful for the one eye on God because it kept me from going too far off the rails. But the one eye on me really just kept skewing my, like my vision over in this other ways. And so to, to be in a place where more often I have two eyes on God, not all the time I start, you know, wandering off. Oh, I want this. I want that. I want this other thing. And those things aren't bad. Like the things that we want most of the time are not bad. Um, and even if they are like in themselves sinful, there's something in the desire that is not, there's something in it that is pointing us toward God and trying to get us like that desire is ultimately going to find its fulfillment in God and in communion with God. But it just becomes inordinate. Like the, the desire for commendation the desire to be seen, the desire to be known, the desire to be loved. These are all really good things, but we can just start to get them out of order and put them like, I'm going to try and do all these things. I, in my twenties and thirties, I wanted to be a writer so that people would see me and think I was awesome. Right. Mm. <laughs> like, Of course I want people to see me and I want them to commend me. I want God's well done, good and faithful servant. We all do. Right. And for those of us like you, I'm an Enneagram four that drive for significance that like that well done, that commendation, that's a really strong drive in me. But recognizing that like, it's going to be an endless hamster wheel if I'm trying to get that from other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to end up manipulating them. And I'm going to be end up trying to like change my behavior to get a certain outcome again, as opposed to just saying, no, God has already commended me. God is proud of the work that I have done and commending me for the work that I've done, regardless of right. the outcomes in terms of worldly success or whatever. And to be in that place of being able to say, okay, at least on my best days, I can lay these other things down. There are other days where I, and then, but the nice thing is the older I get and the more practice I have, I'm like, oh, I see what's going on. I see what's going on here. Okay. So for instance, the other day, I was listening to a podcast and the host of the podcast was talking about my area of expertise. Well, one of my areas of expertise, something that I'm pretty passionate about. And I'm like, I could feel as I'm listening to this, I'm driving down the road and I can just feel this sort of like resistance and this sort of like unease rising in me. And I'm like, what is that about? Right. And I like pause the podcast and I'm like, okay, Lord, I can tell that I'm getting worked up about this and I can, I recognize these symptoms. I'm jealous. 
I want to be her. I want, I want to be the one talking about this stuff. I want to be the one that people are like, oh, she's so smart. How does she know all this stuff? Mm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, after all these years, like that's, it's still in me. I think it's going to be in me till the day that I die. Mm. But 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, it would have been a long time between hearing that, feeling all the things, and then realizing what had happened. I was in the middle of the podcast. The feelings were coming. As they're coming, I'm realizing, oh, something's going on here. And so then I had to just sit there and like, okay, Lord, what matters is that this message is preached. It doesn't matter who preaches it. And so I, it's, it's not my circus. These are not my monkeys. And I just need to give this to you. Like give all this feeling, you know, that I want, you know, that I want to be talking about this stuff. You know, that I want people to listen to what I have to say. And that's not what ultimately matters. What ultimately matters is that the truth is preached and that people hear this message and the fact that they're hearing it from her is awesome. That's fantastic. The more people who are preaching it, the more people will hear it. Right. Yeah. And so, but to get to that place, it took a, it took a few minutes. Like yeah. it's not, it's not immediate. It's not like yeah, immediate response. Took me to years, like, right? Like, <laughs> talking about this. That's awesome. Right. Like that was, that's what I want my knee-jerk response to be, but I'm not there yet. Like I still have a long way to go. So, but I do see God's refining in me that I am able to, I remember the first time I did this where I realized that I was envious. Um, and I, I felt like heaping burning coals on my head to pray for the success of the people who were talking about the stuff I wanted to be talking mm. about. Oh my gosh. I remember very clearly I was in my bedroom. I was crying and it was like this battle. It was like this battle. There was like this me that was like, wanted to hold on. No, I want to be the one to do that. And then it was like, these other people are already doing it. They're already doing it. And like, and they were at, a, it was at a conference and somebody had like posted a picture on social media. And I saw like who was speaking. I'm like, I know all those people. How come I'm not there? And, um, and I just was like, it was like heaping burning coals on my own head to say, like name each one of them and pray that God would use them mightily for his good, for his glory and the good of his people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like, that's how we, that's how we do this work is like, that's the refining process is being able to say what matters is that the truth is preached and not that I'm the one to preach it. Yeah. You know? oh, and I gosh. do get to, you know, I do get to like, I get to write books. Like I get to write articles. There are a small number of people who read what I have to say. And so the, like, I'm adding, you know, it's the Jean Reese quote, like we just have to feed the lake, right? I'm adding my little drop to the lake. Oh, I love it though. And I, I so appreciate what you said about, you know, take it. I, I mean, just the fact that you actually pause the podcast to take a minute and address what was coming up in you, I think is wisdom, first of all. Because how many times does that happen and we just kind of like steamroll through it and we don't actually address it. And then we come home and we're like hating everyone and everything <laughs> and, and you know, dropping like, at our kids. We're <laughs> like, yes, everyone is terrible and they're all, <laughs> my life sucks. And, you know, you get in this like hole and then you're like, wait, what is wrong with me? <laughs> wait, what, what, just, what, what just happened here? <laughs> Why am I doing this? So I love that you just the recognition of like, oh, something is going on. I need to address this right now. And I think it makes me think of um, when I was talking with my therapist a year or so ago, and I was talking to her about growth and just feeling like, um, you know, 
that that's what it looks like. But the point is that like, that's what it looks like. It's not that you, that you no longer ever experience Mm -hmm. these things or you Mm -hmm. have these feelings. It's that you're quicker to recognize when you're Mm -hmm. having them and you're quicker to address them. And Mm -hmm. that's what the growth looks like. It's not Mm -hmm. that, you know, we're perfect and we never, ever struggle with any of these things ever again. I Mm -hmm. think the reality is, at least in my experience, the things that God keeps there, uh, there's these places where I, c- I feel like I continue to have to be refined over and over mm-hmm. in the same place. Mm-hmm. And I sort of just feel like, am I ever going to be done with this particular issue? And I almost feel like the Lord is like, no, not really. Because <laughs> part of it is that those places are the places that drive me mm-hmm. to my knees, that drive mm-hmm. me to prayer, that drive me to the Lord. And I think the other part of it is that we're not perfect and we never Mm -hmm. will be until, Mm -hmm. you know, until glory. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in the meantime, the growth just looks like pausing Mm -hmm. the podcast and recognizing Mm -hmm. like, I need a minute and I'm Mm going to catch this Mm -hmm. now before I go home and like hate everyone in my house. I'll I'll catch it now. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a mark of growth and it's beautiful to acknowledge that and just say, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Absolutely. This is what it looks like. And I do see that that is a marker of growth because, you know, five years ago, I would have just plowed, I I might not have even realized because I was so used to feeling that way. Mm. I might not have even realized that that's what was going on because it was just kind of my normal. That's kind of how I reacted to everything. And so um, to be in a place where that's not how I react to everything and where that's an anomaly. Yeah. I mean, it's not unknown. It's definitely something I recognize, but it's not my normal anymore, you know? And so I just feel like that is growth for sure. When your normal is healthier and more sane and more grounded and more open-handed, I think that that's, yes. Am I completely all those things? No. And like you said, this side of heaven, I'm never going to be like, (laughs) but there's still opportunities for growth and every, and yeah. So I think that that's, and I think that's one of the things that we just need to be gentle with ourselves because we are always in process, right? Like it's really easy to get discouraged. I'm like, am I dealing with this again? Like, oh God, I thought this was done with. And no, it's not done with. And it's probably not ever going to be done with. But do you see the growth? Yeah. Do you see the ways in which you have laid this down again and again and again? Yeah. Every time. And do you see how much faster you are recognizing it and laying it down than you used to be? Mm-hmm. Right. Like those are the things that I think God is drawing our attention to. Not the, there's no like, oh, here you are again. When are you going to yes. learn? Like that's not, yes. that's not the right response. Cause I don't think that that's God's response to us. I do no. think that he is when we, when we stop and we recognize those things, I do think we receive his well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, absolutely. I think if you hear it in a tone of frustration mm-hmm. or, um, uh, like a, a condemning kind of tone of like, I can't believe you're here again. I think we have to be so quick to just call that out for the voice that it is and say, mm-hmm. that is not God's voice. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. just not, I, I don't know exactly the tone of God's voice, but I know that that's not it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I, I know that that kind of um, cruel, discouraging, mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe you're here again. Mm -hmm. That is that, that's our own Mm -hmm. internal or, you know, even worse, the enemy's voice. I call those the harpies. Yeah. Harpies, because they're just like, they're shrill. They're condemning. They're nasty. They want to eat you alive. You know, that's not. And the, one of the ways that I can distinguish between those voices is 
when I hear the, those voices that are condemning, they like drive me into myself and I kind of mm. curl up inside myself. And I just think God doesn't call us to curl up inside ourselves. Like that's, um, Augustine called that kind of curved inward posture. He calls it incurvatus insei. And, um, the posture of Jesus on the cross is the exact opposite with his arms stretched wide is, you know, this is ex curvatus exe, which is like facing out arms wide to embrace the world. That's the posture we're supposed to have. And so when those voices that we hear those voices, like, I can't believe you're here again. And how dare you do that? You are miserable, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad person, whatever they are that drive us into ourselves and like make us curl up inside our own souls. I'm like, that's how I know it's not the voice of God because God is not calling me to curl up inside my own soul. God is calling me to curl up inside him, come to him and to like rest in him. And so if there's a condemning voice that is driving me into myself, that's an immediate red flag. Like, Oh wait, that's not the voice of God. Lord, what would you say here? What do you have for me in this moment? What do you have for me? Um, how would you, how, how are you responding to me in, in this place where I am feeling here I am again, after all this time, after all the work you've done in me, after all the gifts you've given me, I'm still in this stuck place. Yeah. You know, what, what is God going to say? God is going to say, come out, come out from that stuck place. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah. Like that's the voice of Jesus. So mm. I think that that's, that from, that's been a very helpful distinction for me. Like what is, how am I responding to this? Yeah. And then, and then that's how I can help to parse because there may be truth in it. Like mm -hmm. the thing that I'm doing is not right and it's not good, but to say something is not right and not good. There's different ways of saying that there are oh, ways yeah. that drive us inward and there are ways that pull us out I'm like, Oh, head up. I don't want to do that. Right. Well, I think it, when you were talking about curled in on oneself, I think about like the posture of shame. Like if we, mm -hmm. if shame had a posture, that's mm -hmm. the posture of shame yep. is to, Absolutely. to curl in on yourself and to feel like mm -hmm. I can't, uh, you don't want to be seen. You don't want, you don't want people to experience you because mm -hmm. there's this shame mm -hmm. and to be able to uncurl from that in, and, you know, I think that I think that refined, being refined and being kind of purified through the process of walking spiritually with the Lord is this, there can be these moments of feeling like, oh, I should have known better, or I should mm -hmm. have done better. You know, like you can, you can have those experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the thing is not to allow that sensation of like, mm -hmm. oh, I should have known better. You mm -hmm. know, like even just going back to your listening to this podcast and, and hearing this thing and having that feeling of like, oh, the, you know, the, the envy is rising up or the jealousy mm -hmm. or whatever. But instead of curling in and being like, oh, why am I doing this again? Like, I'm so mm -hmm. terrible. It's like, no, let me open up to God's mm -hmm. spirit to like take this away from me mm -hmm. and to to, you know, like you said, to sort of just stretch out wide and be like, just take this from me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the invitation of the refining, any of the mm -hmm. refining seasons we go through mm -hmm. is to just be open to God taking mm -hmm. those things that are not serving us. They're just right. not helpful, right. you know, and it, and they can be simple. It's not always this big dramatic thing. Sometimes it's just little things in our life that are just not helpful and they're not serving us mm -hmm. and letting God take those from us. And being willing to let them go, which is always yes. the kicker. You that know, is always being the kicker. willing to let them go. Yes. yes. Um, there's the, we, I think in Christian circles, we like to toss around. I don't remember which Psalm it is. Or like something about, you know, 
love the Lord or trust the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's like, we like the desires of our heart cards. We really like to talk about that. God will give you the desires of my heart. Well, the desires of my heart. When I was 20, I want to be a New York Times bestselling novelist, right? Like that was the desire of my heart. Well, God has not given me that desire. And I'm looking ahead. I'm like looking around. I'm like, unlikely that I'm going to get that desire of my heart. And you know what? 20 years into this, 25 years into this, I'm okay with that. Like Mm -hmm. what I think happens is that as you trust in the Lord, the desires of your heart become more and more for him. Mm -hmm. And the external things, the external trappings um, matter less. I don't want to say they don't matter. They still matter. It's still, I mean, I still felt envious listening to the podcast the other day, you know, like that's still a signal to me, like this still matters to me. And it's good that it matters to me. It's not, that's not, the mattering is not the issue. The issue is my clinging to it and wanting to be the one to deliver the message or whatever. Um, holding that open-handedly is the constant, like constantly holding that open-handedly and putting those, again, the ordinate desires, the, the, the desires in order, trust in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, for a long time, the desires of my heart would probably have been a disaster. <laughs> if God had actually given me the desires of my heart at that time, it would have been a disaster. And I'm very grateful that he was like, I know the desire, the true desires of your heart. I know what you really, really, really want underneath all of those things. I know what's driving your desire for that. I know what the underlying desire for that is. And I am going to meet that desire, but it's not going to be the way that you think. Mm-hmm. And, if, and it's this you know, and I just think, especially when you're young, that is so hard. It's so heartbreaking. I look back at my younger self and I just want to give her a hug. I was like, oh, right. sweetie, I know this is so hard. It's mm-hmm. so hard. It's, you know, but I also wanted to say, it's going to be okay. Like, I know if you're looking at me and at your future, almost 50 year old self, I'm going to be like, wait, you're not any of the things that I wanted you to be. And I'm like, I know, sorry, but guess what? Way better. (laughs) Like the person I am is way better because I'm able to, I am able to lay down those things. I'm not the anxious wreck that I used to be because I was trying to, again, control all those outcomes over which I had no control. Mm -hmm. And instead just like do the thing that I can do. What is the thing that God has called me to do? That's the one thing I need to do right now. And then all the rest of it, you know, and I say this, I make it sound so easy, Chris, like just do the thing in front of you. It's all going to be okay. It's going to be, sometimes it's going to be a knife bite in your head, you know? And I, I still have days when it's like, I am battling myself, my, you know, the self that I know that I want to be the better self. And then the self that I have habitually been, and they're like warring with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's hard. It's exhausting. Those are the days that you just, you know, don't go outside. Try and lay low. Go in your room. So it doesn't come out sideways. I know, but it's 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 so true. And I love what you said, even just about having compassion for your younger self who thought she knew what she wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, it makes me think of immediately as you were talking about that, it made me think of those scriptures that talk about, and I'm I have to look up exactly where they are. Um, but talks about like, we don't know what to pray. So the spirit prays Mm -hmm. for us. And I think Mm -hmm. about how, um, and I think even there's a scripture about like, you don't know how to pray. You don't pray for what you, what you should pray for because you don't know. And I love that even God recognizes like our prayers and it's not, he's not being like mean about our prayers. He's just Mm -hmm. reminding us like, Mm -hmm. you don't have the information that I have. And so you don't actually fully know how to pray because you don't know what's best for you. Mm -hmm. Like that is such a, 
it feels like it shouldn't be such a novel concept, but that is the reality for human nature. We right. actually don't know ultimately what is best for us because mm-hmm. we are not all knowing. So right. we can't possibly, we mm-hmm. just can't. And so mm-hmm. accepting that and surrendering to that and recognizing mm-hmm. that like, mm-hmm. we're going to pray for things that we probably mm-hmm. shouldn't be praying for, mm-hmm. but God is so kind to like mm-hmm. course correct us. If mm-hmm. we just keep asking mm-hmm. and keep right. knocking and keep seeking, mm-hmm. he will show us like, no, that isn't for you. I actually have this for you. And we may not love it at first. You right. know? I mean, <laughs> that's the truth. Like, let's be honest. Sometimes we don't yeah. love it. You know, we're like, like well, uh, that's not what I wanted. You know? mm-hmm. right. <laughs> that's not the life I would have chosen. You right. Know? <laughs> Right. And there's also just life that happens, you know, that are just like, again, things that are outside our control. And then so and that side derails our plans. And, yeah. um, you know, I was I was going to be a writer and that was my goal. I had two kids and I was done, I was done having kids and I didn't want to have any more kids. And I was going to focus on my writing because I finally was like through the toddler stage. Mm-hmm. And then I got pregnant with twins. change of plans plans, you know (laughs) so you know there's just I don't know and I and at the time I thought my life was over and again I want to go back to my little 35 year old self and be like honey it's gonna be okay like trust me this is gonna this is gonna be better than you could possibly believe it's gonna be harder than you could ever dream but it's also gonna be better than you can than you could believe right now your life you're gonna be happier and more well-adjusted and more alive than you can even fathom right now. You know, I just want to, you know, but at the time, like it was the death of a dream, like a very real death. Like I was, I knew what having babies was like. I knew what it did to my writing life and to have two of them. Like I knew I'm putting this on hold for a couple of years at least. So, and it's been a lot of years. So. It's been a lot of years, but now you have another book coming out. So let's talk about that for a minute okay. because um, I'm very excited about this a book of short stories, a book of short stories. So my first love is fiction. I sort of, I feel like I sort of fell into nonfiction writing um, for a variety of reasons, um, partly because I love theology. And so I was doing some writing on that. Um, mm-hmm. And so um so I ended up doing some theological writing that ended up getting me my first book contract, last contract given to anyone on the planet who didn't have a platform. Um, <laughs> if it had happened six months later, or certainly a year later, I would not have gotten the contract. Cause when a year late after my book was published, um, my editor actually asked me to write a proposal for a book that they're like, we're, we're our pu- publishers looking for a book on this. So why don't you put together a proposal? I did. And so I wrote the proposal at their request and they're like, sorry, you don't have a made platform. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And at the time I was sort of devastated, but now I just think it's funny. It's like, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, And I had no idea. Again, so this is one of those things I was like, looking back, I'm like, it's very clear to me that God gave me that book to write because it shouldn't have happened. Um, But just because God gave me that book to write doesn't mean that it's going to sell well, because it certainly didn't. Anyway, all that to say, my first love was fiction. And at the time that I um, got that book contract, I was also in the middle of revising um, a, a YA novel that I had written. And um, and so now I'm back to writing fiction about you. two, three years ago, two years ago, my mom died in 2021. And after she died, I 
I couldn't write. Like writing is the way that I process everything and I could not write. Um, and so, and then one day I was sitting on the deck. I had so little energy. I was so exhausted that summer. Um, that was primarily how my grief manifested itself as just deep, deep tiredness. I had no energy to do anything. So I spent a lot of time sitting on the deck, looking at the flowers, thinking I should probably deadhead those. I'm doing nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this story came into my head and I started writing it and I kept writing it and I kept writing it. And like six months later, I had a novel. And um, and then I po- published the novel over on Patreon last year, starting in the middle of the year. And then I um, have been publishing some short stories. And then in May, I was just like, you know what? I really want to have a book. I want to hold these in my hand and not just have them be these bites on the internet. Mm-hmm. So I put together a collection of short stories and it's going to come out in September, later this month. And Actually, by the time you listen to this, people are listening to this, it will be earlier this month. So, tell us the name. So it's, it's called A Yellow Wood and Other Stories. The title story, A Yellow Wood, is about half the book. It's a long, short story. Um, you can actually, it's divided into eight chapters and you can actually get the first two chapters for free on my website. So if you go to bcirton.com and right there at the front page, you can type in your email address and then you'll get um, the first two chapters for free. So you can try it out, see if you like it, see if it's your cup of tea. And if it is, I'd love for you to buy a copy. And if it's not, I totally get that. Not every book is for every person. Um, would you say, I know uh, your daughter was very interested in you writing this. Is this something, would you read it with teens? Would you recommend it for teens or so, adults? Um, so, so go to the, go read the first two chapters okay. and, um, and see if you're uh, for older teens. I think it's fine. Okay. Um, here's the, I don't know that they would, how interested it's going to depend on the teen, right? Okay. I don't know how interested they would be in the stories. Um, but definitely read the first two, the first two chapters. I don't want to give anything away, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that there's, there's some, maybe some content that some parents would be concerned about their teens okay. reading about. Um, it's not, ex- nothing is explicit, yeah. but, um, but I just, yeah, just just want to be careful. So yeah. for sure. I mean, preview my daughter's six, yeah, preview it. My daughter's 16. I had no problem with her reading it. Um, but I think that there might be some parents who may be a little more concerned, more conservative. Depending on their comfort um, level. Well, on their, I, on their comfort level yeah. and also their kids, like different yeah. kids are at different maturity levels. So it just, yeah. anyway, so preview. I would just say preview for sure. Um, yeah. So, but that's a story. So can I just tell you a little bit about that story? Yeah. Um, it's about a young American college student. It takes place in the late eighties and she goes to England to where, um, to her great grandmother's house. So she and her grandmother are cleaning out her great grandmother's house. Her grandmother, grandmother has passed away recently and they're going through generations of their family's stuff. Mm. And she finds in the attic, um, inside a copy of paradise lost she finds a stash of sonnets that were written in 1818 and she's intrigued by the story that these sonnets tell and so it's kind of her her journey of healing and also um her journey to find out more about this woman and who she was and what like what happened to her that's exciting it was a fun story to write and i have a special place in my heart for it so I can't wait. I cannot wait to sit down with it. It's, it's very much, um, something that I'm, I'm making time. I'm making time. I told you, Mm -hmm. you and I talked before we started this, Mm -hmm. my summer has been insane, but this is, this is on my list of things Mm -hmm. that I'm going to make time for this fall because I'm ready. 
<laughs> and one of the things that I love about short stories is that they're short, right? Yeah. So it's not a commitment like a novel, right? You can read my, you can read that story in probably an hour and you'll be done. You get the whole satisfying story arc. It's all done, right? An oh, hour. And then, and then some of this, like one of the, the shortest stories, like a thousand words, so you could read it in like, ten, like less than 10 minutes, you know? And so, and I just think for people in our contemporary world, short stories might be a really, I'm just wondering if they're going to take off again, mm-hmm. because people are so busy. They don't have time to sit down with a big fat novel. And yeah. so I do wonder for people who are, especially moms who are, have young kids and they're like running from here to there, a short story is something you can read in the carpool line, you know? And so it, or, you know, while you're waiting at the dentist for your kid to be done with her appointment. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just wonder about short stories. They're not popular. Part of the reason I published it myself is because I'm like, no publisher is going to publish a collection of short stories because apparently they don't sell or there's a belief that they won't sell. And, but I'm just, I'm very puzzled by that. Cause I'm like, for a culture with a short attention span, a short story is the perfect place for people to like start reading fiction again. We'll see. Um, anyway, that's a question that I have. I'm just curious as to do people want short stories? Do they yeah. like short stories? Um, I actually really like the art form because you can read it in an hour and you feel like, oh, great, done. Yeah. Well, if you like, if you're somebody who likes um, to have the whole story mm-hmm. it, and you don't have a lot of time, I think mm-hmm. short stories offer you that satisfaction of getting mm-hmm. the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, I do hope they, they come back. I always like to think about how, um, and we're running, I'm running out of time, mm-hmm. but how mm-hmm. Fahrenheit 451 started as a short story. And Did it? Just, yeah, I it started as that. a short story, and it, I forget the original title of it. Mm-hmm. But I just love that, like you know, it's a it's a novel now that we mm-hmm. hand to our you know mm-hmm. our kids, and we say read this book, and it's one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. And I just love that, like this was just a, it started as a short story, you know, and it became mm-hmm. this this thing that it's still fairly short, actually. When mm-hmm. you look at it, it's you mm-hmm. know it's a novel form, but it's still mm-hmm. fairly short. Um, so anyway, I'm super excited about your book coming out and you have a book club, right? That is yes. Happen? Yes. So, um, in October, uh, three weeks in October, there will be a book club. We'll be discussing the stories. Um, I have, there's a lot of Christological and other Christian images embedded in the stories I kind of hid there. Um, I don't think if any of the stories mention God, it's very slight. I mean, they're not explicitly Christian in that way, but, um, but, I am excited to talk about the Christian images and themes in them, and I'm hopeful that people will join us. It'll be three weeks in October on Zoom. Again, if you sign up for, um, if you go to my website and you get the two free chapters, you'll be added to my email list. And so when the information about the October book book club comes out, you will get that information and you can sign up for the October book club then. Awesome. I will put all of that in the show notes for people who listen so that they can get signed up for the book club uh, mm-hmm. before it starts. Cause this episode will be out before it starts. So people can sign up. So thank you Thanks. for that. Yeah. I have one or two quick questions before we sign off. And the first one is what are you reading right now? Ooh. So I just finished Agnes Gray by Anne Bronte. She's the unknown Bronte sister. And um, I remembered reading Lieutenant of Wildfell Hall in my twenties and liking it. And then a friend of mine's 
sent me a Voxer message and she read a quote from Agnes Gray. And I'm like, Ooh, that sounds like a good book. So I checked it out from the library and I read it. It's really short. It's 180 pages. So you can read it in a couple days. Um, and it was really, it was just very charming. It's about a young governess woman who has this very solid, stable, beautiful family. And then she goes to become a governess and she's in these like horrible families with like really, really awful people. And like how she manages to navigate remaining, having integrity and staying like pointed true north in the midst mm. of all these people who are just so not mm. um pointed in that direction so it's just really fascinating she's a very strong character and just really just really enjoyed reading about her it was very inspiring that's so awesome. that was um so that, that's the most recent novel I finished that's awesome what okay so my last question then is what is inspiring you right now oh, what is inspiring me right now oh my goodness Right now I'm staring out the window at a blue sky and some fluffy white clouds and the maple helicopters on my uh, Japanese maple tree are this bright red in the sunlight, almost pink. And the leaves are starting to turn. My tree has a name, her name is Mora. And in the fall, she just turns this beautiful scarlet. So about a month and a half from now, she will just be covered in scarlet leaves. Um, but she's just starting to turn. and. I always find her a source of inspiration because she's just beautiful at any season. Oh, I love that. Take a picture for me. I would love to see. I will. I will send, I can send you a picture from last fall because I take a picture or two or 10 or 12 every, every fall because <laughs> she's so like, it's, and I can never capture like just the, the way that the light shines through the leaves. Yeah. So, yeah, I have, I have a couple of places like that in my yard too, where I feel like I take a hundred pictures and every time I look at them, I'm like, it just doesn't do it justice. No. It's just not, it, I keep trying, you know, I keep taking yeah. that picture thinking this one's going to be better and it, I just can't capture it. And I think there's something really special and sacred about that too, that it can't be captured. Can't that be, you, yeah. you have to just take it in with your eyes mm -hmm. and your heart and just mm -hmm. take it and just hold it because mm -hmm. there's no film or digital pixels or whatever mm -hmm. that are going to be able to hold mm -hmm. that image the way you see it with your eyes, mm -hmm. which is a whole other, a whole other thing. But yeah. thank you so much for this conversation. Chris, this was really, was really lovely. It was really, it's always a gift Such to talk to you. And I'm so grateful that you were willing to have me on your podcast. Oh my thank gosh. You so much. Anytime. And we will definitely do it again.